I hope everybody has had a, uh, a blessed week. We thank you for coming to gather together as we worship, and I'm so grateful for Brother Greg's good word about how our hearts and our minds have been prepared, and now we open up the word, and we let God speak to us. And if you're just joining us for the first time, or if it's been a little while, we've been really in a wonderful journey this summer, and now as we're getting towards the end of the summer, we're getting towards the end of this journey through the book of James, and the title of our sermon series has been Putting Feet to Our Faith. We've said that James is practical Christian living. It's the show me book. It's saying, if you have faith, you're going to show me in how you live. And we're getting towards the end of chapter four here today. And the title of our message is we're going to look at James 4, 13 through 17. The question that I want to ask is, what is your life? What is your life? So as I prime your heart and your mind for that, I'm going to ask you a question and ask you to think about your own journey through this question. Okay, here's what I want to ask you. If you wrote yourself a letter five years ago and listed all your goals and dreams and you opened it today for the first time, how surprised would you be by what you wrote? All right, so we go back in a time machine to five years ago today and you sat down and you wrote down all the things you wanted to accomplish all the goals that you had for your life, you sealed it up, and then today's the day that you open it. How surprised would you be by what you wrote? I can confess to you, I'd be shocked. I would be absolutely shocked. If I, if I go back to where I was at this time ago, five years, I was dating a young woman who is now my wife, and I was, in, I was uh, registering for and attempting to enroll in a uh, school in New Orleans, Louisiana, New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Later, as I found that girlfriend became my wife, she made it very clear to me that we were not starting our family in New Orleans. (laughs) And God spoke wisdom through this woman because I think one of the greatest things that happened to me was the training that I received at Southeastern. And I'm so excited as we enter into revival in October that my mentor and pastor is going to preach our revival. And I'm excited for you to meet him because he really, God used him to prepare me for the calling here. But that leads me to the next surprise. I knew God was calling me to ministry. There's no way in a million years I thought he was calling me to the pastorate. I just had no desire to be a pastor. I didn't see it as a calling. I felt God was going to make me maybe a full-time Christian writer or broadcaster, maybe a Ravi Zacharias type with a radio ministry. But something happened at seminary. God cultivated a desire in my heart, and I began to yearn for this calling that wasn't even on my radar five years ago. So why do I bring all that up? Well, because as we walk through the passage today, we're going to be talking about the brevity of life. And I know this is a a, a theme that we hear all the time, how short life is. But I want to go further than that today. Because we do have goals and we do have dreams. And there's nothing wrong with dreaming and having goals and wanting to pursue those goals. But at the end of the day, what I want to talk about today is the limitations that God has put on our life and the specific callings that God has put on our life. Because I would venture to say 98% of us in this room, if we had to guess five years ago that we would be exactly where we are today, living in the house that we're living in, having the job that we have, and the family situations that we're in, none of us could have fully guessed we are where we are. God is sovereignly in control. And when we forget about that control and we try to make plans for the future as the captain of our own souls, we find our way into that three-letter word, sin. And so that's really what I want to talk about today. So as, uh, as we get ready, I want to mention a few things and then we'll go to the big idea. I do want to say this, and I, I, I want to say it clearly. I don't think there's anything wrong with planning. 
In fact, I have a sheet of paper in my office that no one has ever seen, including my wife. And uh, right now I'm 37 years old. I have a sheet of paper in my office that says 40 things that I want to accomplish before I turn 40. Again, nobody has seen it but me. And nobody will see it but me. (laughs) Some of those things are personal. Some of those are academic. Some of those are professional. They're my heart on a sheet of paper. But here's what I know. I turned 40 years old on June 11, 2020, if the Lord allows me to live that long. And if he gives me the breath to live that long, I probably will not have crossed all 40 things off the list. And if I do, I may be in sin pursuing things that God did not intend for me to pursue. So we do set goals, but it's God who establishes our steps. Isn't that not what the scripture says? As we, as we think about this passage, I also think about Proverbs 16, 9, the heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. And that leads us into our big idea. What do I want us to get as we walk through the end of James 4 together? Here's what I want us to see. In one sentence, it is sinful to boast about our selfish plans for tomorrow if we are not willing to simply obey God's will for us today. Today's got all that you need to obey Him one step at a time instead of looking towards tomorrow that is not necessarily promised. This is a big and heavy message. James James has been walking us through heavy ideas. And this one's heavy as well, but it certainly meets us where we live. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of James. We'll be in, again, chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. If you don't have a Bible, please grab the Pew Bible in front of you. We'll be on page 1201 in your Pew Bibles. Okay, James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. 1201 in your Pew Bibles. And if you would stand at this time, out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant Word of God. James chapter 4. The end of the chapter, verses 13 through 17. Hear the word of the Lord, starting in verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we love You. And we acknowledge, Father, that You are the Creator of time and space and You stand outside of it looking in that you're not confined by it, but we are. And you have given us those boundaries for our safety and for your glory. We do have a limit to our days and we have a limit to the ability of what we can do in these days. And Father, many times we just abandon our obedience to you and do what we think is going to make us happy and later we find out it doesn't. Father, would you just be with us today? Would you help us in this time as we consider the truth of your word? Would you help us? to know what our life is, the purpose of our life, the calling of our life, and what you've asked us to do today instead of boasting about what we want to do tomorrow. Be with us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a, uh, 
a continuation as we walk through the end of James chapter 4. I know some of you have been kind of coming in and coming out, and some of you are visiting for the first time. As we walk through James, there's this constant contrast that God is making through His Word in this book. He's saying, is your life about you, or is it about God? I feel like this has become a a week after week after week, verse after verse after verse. James is forcing us to look at our lives and say, are we on this planet for our own joy, or are we on this planet for the glory of God? And here's the sweet thing about it, and we'll get to this as we walk through the passage. When we live for the glory of God, He throws joy in for free. But when we live strictly for our own joy and happiness, sometimes we get neither one. And so, as we consider the context of this passage, I really want to say at the end of chapter 4, I think James is writing this passage specifically addressing some of the wealthy Christian merchants in the Jerusalem church. And he's writing to them, and he's saying, you're living life for profitability, and you're forgetting about God's providence. You're living saying, you're going to control your own life, and you're going to pursue what gives you the most gain, and yet you forget you don't know what could happen five minutes from now, let alone five years from now. And you're not living for the glory of God, you're living for the glory of self. And there's some caveats to that that we'll get to, but I want to make three points directly out of the text. And these points today are going to be questions that I want us to ask ourselves in reflection of the passage. So here's the first question I want us to ask ourselves this morning. Number one, what is your life if your days are ultimately subject to God's plan? Okay, what is your life if your days are ultimately subject to God's plan? Keep your Bibles open and look with me at the beginning of the passage here, verses 13 through 14. Here's what it says. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Now, for us to know truth, I think we need to know what James is not saying before we know what James is saying. So let me say what James is not saying, because for some of you who are wealthy business owners in this community are listening to this passage and saying, am I living in sin? To which I would say, no, that's not what James is saying, okay? So there are two things I think James is condemning, and then I think there are three things that he is not condemning, or two things he is not condemning, and then three that he is condemning. So let me start with what James is not condemning. I do not think James is condemning a society of capitalism, okay? We live in America in 2017, okay? We have a capitalist economy, a free market that enables us to go and use the gifts God has given us to make a profit for ourselves and for our family, and I do not think God is condemning that through James. I don't think James is saying we should be socialists and abandon a free market. I don't think that's what James is saying. I also don't think James is is condemning planning, Okay, unless in in case God doesn't call us home tomorrow, we do have to have some type of plan, right? We, in fact, we I just mentioned this morning that we are reinstituting our long range planning committee. In case God doesn't call us home tomorrow, we need to be aware of who we are as a church and where we're headed and the type of facilities we need to do the ministry that God has called us to do. So I don't think I don't think that James or God through James is condemning pursuing profit and pursuing planning towards the future in pursuing that profit. Here's what I think James is condemning. I think he's condemning a motive of greed. 
when the primary motive of getting your feet on the floor in the morning is to hear the sound of the cash register, the cha-ching, cha-ching, that sound. If that's the motivation for why you get out of bed in the morning and put one foot in front of the other, and if you continue to plan your future based on how many times you can hear that cash register make that sound, I think James is saying you're forgetting the sovereignty of God. I think he's also condemning a lack of respect for God's sovereignty to say, who are you to plan anything and think that you'll bring it to completion? God may not give you another breath or Jesus may show up in a minute, in a moment. We don't know when he's coming back. Even he in his earthly ministry did not know when he would return, but only the father. And then finally, I think James is condemning a lack of obedience to God's will. When we say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, And yet we don't consider, what does God want me to do today with the gifts he's given me? When we don't don't consider God first and we consider our own desires first, what happens? We find ourselves into that three-letter word, sin. And all of us have struggled with it from time to time. Now, he does make a, a statement here in verse 14 that as we talk about the future and we talk about making plans, we need to remember that our life is here today and it's gone tomorrow. In fact, he says, for you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. I think about this every day. So I am not a morning person, no matter how much I try to be. And I try to be one. When I was at seminary, I tried to force myself to be a coffee drinker, but my stomach had other ideas. Uh, But when I do get up in the morning, uh, I take a shower about as hot as I can possibly stand it. I mean, I crank it up to where it's a sauna in that bathroom. And when I get in the shower, the hot water starts to wake me up. And then when I'm done my shower, I pull the curtain back and there's so much steam in the bathroom, I can't see the mirror two feet in front of my face. But you know, something funny happens. I get dried off. I go into the other room. I put my clothes on and I come back into that room about three minutes later to brush my hair. And wouldn't you know it, there's no evidence of steam anywhere. The mirror is completely clear. I can see my face. If you didn't see the wet towel or the wet tub, you wouldn't even know somebody was in there taking a shower five minutes ago. And what a great illustration that is for our life. Our life is like the steam from a hot shower. In the moment that it's there, it seems like it's going to last forever. But pull back the curtain, open the door, and shut it again, and it's gone. Now, you don't have to be Christian to believe that. All right? There are plenty of good Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus and atheists and deists. Name the worldview and they too will tell you that life is short. So what makes us different as Christians? Well, we know that life is short, but we also know that we've got a great responsibility to serve God while we're here in that short life. In fact, as I look at God's word, he's constantly reminding us that life is short In the book of Job, chapter 7, verse 7, Job says, remember that my life is a breath. Psalm 39, verses 5 through 6, David says, behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. We live our lives thinking we can control everything. And yet in a moment, everything changes. In an absolute moment, everything changes. So what is your life if your days are ultimately subject to God's plan? 
Are you the captain of your soul and the master of your own ship? Or is God? And that leads me to the second question that I want to ask. Number two, what is your life if your plans are ultimately subject to God's will? Here's what verse 15 says. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. You know, one of the things that is often overlooked about the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ is this. I know most of you in your Sunday school class this morning, you, you talked about maybe Jesus calming the storms and, and, and then the demons speaking to Jesus and him sending them into a, a herd of pigs. I told uh, Eddie that's the first story of deviled ham in the Bible. But uh, we read these things and they're miraculous and they're supernatural and they get our attention and they make exciting Sunday school lessons and we should read them and they are important. But can I tell you one of the most overlooked aspects of Jesus' earthly ministry, one of the things that Jesus modeled for us that we almost never talk about, His obedience to the will of the Father. Jesus did absolutely nothing without the Father's permission. Isn't that what he said in Scripture? In John chapter 5, verse 30, he says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now, just, just maybe a word of teaching here on, on the doctrine of the Trinity. It's the greatest mystery of our, our faith, right? We believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God represented in three persons. It's a wonderful but divine mystery. And here's what we know. God the Father is not more important than the Son of the Spirit. Jesus is not more important than the Father of the Spirit. And the Spirit is not any less important than the Father of the Son. But it's the Father who assigns, it's the Son who accomplishes, and it's the Spirit who applies. And so Jesus is always submissive to the will of the Father. And he models for us that same thing, that our lives should be about, God, what do you want me to do? I know what I want to do, but if my want is not your will, then change my want and help me to do your will. That's what Jesus modeled for us. When we see in the Gospels these three years of earthly ministry, we know that Jesus did not heal every single person. There are days that Jesus had to send people away. There are days that he had to get up at the crack of dawn and go to a dark place and pray. And why was he in prayer? He was begging God to reveal to him his will for the day. He says, I can't do anything without the Father's permission. I only do what the Father tells me to do. In fact, think about that in the context of one of the last scenes of Jesus' earthly ministry before the crucifixion in the Garden of Gethsemane. All right, he's wrestling with this idea. Jesus knows that he's going to the cross. And yes, he's thinking about the physical pain of the nails that are going to go between his wrist and his feet. He's thinking about all that. But what he's really thinking about is the pain of being separated from his father and treated as an object of wrath because of the sin of man. And he's wrestling with that. You know, I know this is a stupid example, really stupid example. But you know, like the day before you have to go to the dentist or maybe for those of you who have surgery... And I know we've had quite a few surgeries here recently. The night before you go under the knife, you can't sleep. You're just wrestling with this. And you're just saying, if there's any way that I could possibly be healed without having to go through this, I, I wish I could just have that. 
Jesus and his humanity was crying out, if there's any way for people to be saved without me having to be separated from the Father, without me having to be treated as an object of wrath, without me having to be crucified naked publicly in Roman cruelty, if there's any way, God, let this cup pass from me. And then those next words come, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. We forget this. That's one of the greatest things that Jesus modeled for us obedience to the will of the Father. No matter what, no matter what anyone else says, no matter what it looks like to the rest of the world, when we're about our Father's business and we're living in His will, I think it is going to look strange to the rest of the world because I don't think the first thing we're going to do is be seeking profit and trying to hear the sound of the cash register with every step that we take. I think it is going to force us to make different decisions from time to time. But I don't know God's will for your life, but God wants you to know it. And he'll make it obvious to you as you call out to him. Now, here's the thing that we're going to talk about here as we get further into this passage. Human beings can accomplish a great deal by determination. In fact, some people are so determined and accomplish such great things in the eyes of other human beings, we can start to think that if we will ourselves, we can do anything. But we can't. There's a limit Not only to the days that you're going to live on this earth, but there's a limit to the abilities that God has given you to serve him. And he gives you those limits to protect you. All right. I think of two people. Okay, I love to read and watch documentaries of famous athletes and and famous politicians and historians and and business leaders. When I can't sleep at night, I lay in bed with my phone and I watch YouTube documentaries of famous people. It's just some of them inspire me by what to do. Some of them inspire me by what not to do. Um, but lately I've been watching two biographies in the past week that have really stuck to me. Okay. The first one's a, an, a coach. Okay. And the second one was a business leader. Let me, let me say the coach first. I know we have some coaches in the, in the sanctuary here this morning. Uh, you may remember the legendary coach Pat Summit. Okay. The, the women's basketball coach at the university of Tennessee who tragically passed away from early onset dementia and Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's disease. She died uh, back in 2016. She was diagnosed with it in 2011. Here's the thing about Pat Summit. She was a driven woman. She won 1,098 games. She put women's basketball on the map. She won eight national championships. She was an amazing organizational leader. She could will herself to do anything, but she couldn't overcome Alzheimer's. She couldn't do it. God had set a limit to the amount of days that she would live on the earth. And no matter how talented she was, no matter how driven she was, she could not overcome the limit that God had set for her life. Give you the second example. Steve Jobs, the creator of Apple. Now, whether you know Steve or not, you've been influenced by his life, I promise you. Okay, back in the 80s, he was one of the the pioneers of the personal computer. And then when he came back to Apple after leaving the company for many years, he was one of the ones that pioneered the smartphone, okay? Even if you don't have a smartphone, your life has probably been changed by the people around you who do, okay? The way we process information in 2017 is way different. Just go to a restaurant and look at how many people are actually looking at each other as they're eating dinner, okay? So there are some good things and some not so good things about his inventions. Well, here's what I want to say about Steve Jobs. 
Steve Jobs believed that if you worked hard enough, you could accomplish just about anything in the business world, and he just about did. When he died, he died with a net worth of almost $11 billion. In fact, they said now his estate is worth about $19 billion. But you know what? No matter how many sounds of the cash register, he couldn't overcome pancreatic cancer. He couldn't buy his way to a longer life. You know why? Because there was a set limit before the foundations of the earth. When God brought him into this world, he set a limit to how many days he'd be on this earth and a purpose for him to accomplish as he was on this earth, and he couldn't go one day past God's set limit. Those are two amazing examples of people who are incredibly gifted and driven. And I'm not here to say that what they did with their life was right or wrong. They accomplished great things, and that could very well have been God's will. My point in mentioning both of these people is this. No matter how talented you are, how driven and focused you are, how determined you are, you will only live as long as God intends for you to live. And while you're here, you've got a purpose. And we got to figure out what that purpose is. I'll tell you one of the things that scares me. We teach our children, and I think it comes out of good intentions, but we teach our children these words. We say to our child, if you put your mind to it, you can do anything. What I would say is this, if you put your mind to it, you can accomplish great things for God. And you can go past limits that other people may not think you can go past, but you can't do everything. I promise you, you can't do everything. I'll talk more about that here in a minute. But I think one of the great things, um, statements that I ever heard, there's a small little church just down the road on Stillmore Highway, Stillmore Missionary Baptist Church. I've preached revival there many times. And the pastor there, George Archer, is a good friend of many in this church. And it always struck me, every time I've ever preached there, he'd stand up to make the announcements for the following week, and he'd start every sentence out the same way. If the Lord tarries, we'll have service again next week. That little statement, he said it about five or six times every time I preached there. And he kept saying, if the Lord does not return, if he tarries, if he gives us another week to serve him, then we'll be back at service next week. And I thought that was so great how he set the tone for that. And uh, in the sports world, I always remember this, okay? One of my heroes was the legendary Vin Scully, the voice of the Los Angeles Dodgers for more than 60 years. And one day on a sports cast, he said this. He said, Andre Dawson has a, has a bruised hand and he's listed as day-to-day. But then again, aren't we all? <laughs> That's so true. Such big plans we have. And yet we're still day-to-day. We're still day-to-day. We don't know what God's going to do. We just ask for the strength to serve Him today and hope that we'll have the same strength to serve Him again tomorrow. So again, the second question is, what is your life if your plans are ultimately subject to God's will? Now here's the third and final question I want to ask. Number three, what is your life if your sin is ultimately subject to God's judgment? Listen to verses 16 through 17. It says, As it is you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. I think this echoes Proverbs chapter 27, verse 1 that says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. What what does he mean by boasting? Boasting in tomorrow. I think in one statement I would say this. He's saying that we are misplacing our pride and our own ability to chart the future of our lives. We're a little bit too confident in what we can accomplish and how much time we're going to have to accomplish it. And we're not focused enough that God has a will and we need to be about his business. Now, let me get back to what I said a few minutes ago. 
We tell our kids, you can accomplish anything. Put your mind to it, you can do anything. Here's the the beauty and the danger of that statement. The beauty is we do challenge our kids to go past limits that maybe other human beings put on them because only God knows the limitations of a human being. Here's the danger. Some of us can spend half our life pursuing something that God did not intend for us to have. And that's a, that's, that's a tragedy. I know this is going to sound funny, but I'm being dead serious when I say this. When I was 13 years old, I bought into that I could do anything mentality. And I made a decision at 13 years old. You can laugh. I'll, I'll accept your laughter on this. I decided at 13 years old, I'd find a way through training and practice to slam dunk on a 10-foot rim. I'm being dead serious. I bought a D, back then it was a VHS. It was called Dr. J's Basketball Stuff. And he listed a five-step plan that you can improve your leaping ability. And I got a clipboard and I watched the video. And from when I was 13 to I was about 17, in my driveway, I would constantly practice my leaping. And you know what? I improved. I went from that high off the ground to about that high off the ground. All right? But in four years of trying, the best I ever did one day, my fingertips, about that high of my fingertips, nipped the, the, the rim, and I thought I, I was going to throw a party. I realized that no matter how hard I tried, before the foundations of the earth, God decided, Bo, I've not given you the gift without a trampoline of slam dunking on a 10-foot rim. <laughs> In fact, one, one of my favorite uh, comedians... Joel and I like to watch this comedian on YouTube. I would not recommend, there's some language that's not appropriate some of the time, but his name is Sebastian Maniscalco. He's an Italian comedian. And he said, when you turn on TV, you'll never see an Italian in the NBA. He said, you'll never see some fan in the front row saying, shoot the three, Nunzio, shoot the three. (laughs) He said, you'll never see that. Italians are made to, to lay brick and lay cement and make sandwiches. That's what we're called to do in life. Some of us are called to preach. Here's the point, all jokes aside, God has set a limit on my life. I can't. I can't dunk on a 10-foot rim no matter how much I try, no matter how much I will myself to do it. And if I spend the bulk of my life chasing after something God did not intend for me to do, all that time is going to be wasted towards something that God did intend for me to do. I'm going to be honest with you. I think that's what's wrong with the millennial generation right now. I think that's why kids are graduating and going back to mom and dad and sleeping on the couch till they're 30 years old. Because they're chasing after things that God did not intend for them to have. Because their whole life they've been told, you can do absolutely anything. The question is not, can you do anything? The question is, what does God want you to do? He's given you a gift. And he's saying, I want, I want you to serve me with that gift. And when you know what your gift is, it brings joy. Because, because it says that God, before the foundations of the earth, was intentional with you. He molded you and shaped you and made you exactly where, what he wanted you to be. And he planted you exactly where he wanted you to be. And that should be celebrated. That should make you feel special and unique. And it should make your calling important. All of us should be thinking about what has God called us to do. And that leads me to the end of that statement in verse 16. Oh, this makes me stay up at night. It says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, For him, it is sin. Now, we've mentioned this in weeks past. There's two different types of sin. There's sins of commission, things that you do that God told you not to. And there's sins of omission, things that you haven't done that God has called you to do. Now, I'm going to confess to you, when I stand before God, yes, there are certainly sins of commission, things that I've done. But what keeps me up at night, what I worry about, what I struggle with is, God, what have I not done? 
that you have called me to do. Sins of omission scare me ten times more than sins of commission. And you know why? Because I struggle with the sin of perfectionism. And it has led to another sin called procrastination. Let me tell you how this cycle goes, because there's some of you in this room that have the same disease I do, okay? You want everything to be so perfect that it paralyzes you to such a degree you can't even get started on it. And, and then sometimes you either start late or you don't start at all and you move on to something else and something that God intended for you to do, you didn't get it done and so somebody else has to do it. I've wrestled with that in my life. I still wrestle with that desire. Sometimes I can preach a sermon and go home and say, why did I, do not, why did I not preach this? Why did I not do this? And I, and I drive myself crazy. But sometimes I have to stop and say, no, I did what God called me to do today as best I could. And I'm asking for God to give me the breath to do it again tomorrow. We have so many things that God has called us to do. And we're so distracted and sidetracked that some of the most important things that God's given you to do are being left undone for secondary things that are occupying your time. Think about this question. What is something God has convicted you to do that if you died today, you would be ashamed to admit that you didn't do it? Right now. In your life, one thing, a person you were supposed to talk to, a, a person you were supposed to serve, a, a cause you were supposed to contribute to in some shape, form, or fashion, a relationship that's been broken that you know you've got to mend. I don't know what the answer is. But what thing is God calling you to do in your life right now that you're putting off because you say, I'll get to it later? I'll have, I'll have time tomorrow to get that done. I think that answer is different for all of us, but I think we need to seek that answer. We need to be serious about the business of God. Life, it, we know that life is short, but we suppress the truth. I know that Joel and Liz probably thought I was crazy six or seven years ago, but I went through a phase where I thought God was calling me home that year. In fact, I gave Aiden about 80% of all the sports memorabilia that I owned, and I sold the other 20% of it. Because I thought, well, I'm going to give it to somebody because I'm not going to be around much longer. I don't know how long God's going to have me on this earth. I have, a lot, I have more reason to live now than I've ever had in my life. I have a beautiful wife, a beautiful daughter, and a great ministry that I hope God lets me serve in for 30 years, but he might not. What's the most important things that we have to get done? And how can we be busy about that business? So let me sum all this up as we draw to a close. How do we sum up these three questions? In one statement, I, I feel like we could say this. I would say, as our Lord and Savior... Jesus Christ calls us to a life of repentance and faith so we can live for his will today and not boast in our own will for tomorrow. Remember when Jesus said in the Gospels not to be anxious? You know why he said that? He said, tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. Won't you worry about today? I, I, I remember this when I was at Georgia Southern back in, this would have been about 2000. My favorite professor at Georgia Southern was a creative writing professor named Peter Christopher. What a sweet man. He's gone on to be with the Lord. He had cancer. And uh, I was, I know this sounds really nerdy. I was the president of the creative writing club at Georgia Southern. And uh, one day I was in his office and I said, I said, you know, most teenage, most young adults at, at Georgia Southern, they just want to party and do this and do that. And I certainly had that experience in my life. But I said, I just want to be married and have children and settle down. And I said, I want more responsibility. I, I want to have a family. And he said, how are you doing with the responsibility you have right now? 
How are your grades right now? Are you paying your bills right now? Are you on track to graduate right now? He said, seems to me you got plenty on your plate right now. I wouldn't start asking for more responsibilities until you take care of what God has given you to do. And that was at 21, and I didn't get married till 34. So apparently God wanted to give me plenty of time to finish up some other things. But maybe you're looking into the future right now. You're sitting right where you are, and you're thinking about the house that you really want or the job that you really want or the retirement that is just around the corner. God's saying, don't look too far ahead. I got business for you to accomplish with the gifts I've given you right here and right now. Just obey me today and I will take care of tomorrow. So what's our takeaway? Focus on these words. Focus on glorifying God today by using what He has given you to serve Him where He has placed you by accomplishing what He has called you to do. Let me say that one more time. Focus on glorifying God today by using what He has given you to serve Him where He has placed you by accomplishing what He has called you to do. In a, in a shorter statement, Teddy Roosevelt would say, do what you can with what you have where you are. Don't try to do more than you can do. Don't try to have more that you can have. And don't try to be where you're not. Do what you can with what you have where you are And I would add to my brother Teddy's statement, to the glory of God. Life's short. We all know that. But we're going to be judged on what we did for God. And we need to be busy about his business. Now, as we enter into a time of invitation, for those of you in this room who have never confessed and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, I can tell you what God's will is for you right now. I don't have to guess. God wants you to be saved. God wants you to walk with him. He wants your sins to be forgiven by the shed blood of his son. And he wants to tell you what his will is for your life. And if you don't know Jesus and you do not have his Holy Spirit indwelling you, then you cannot fully know his will for your life. So if you're not a believer, if you've never placed your faith in the Lord, if you've never dedicated your life to the Lord, I pray as we sing that you would come. You can do it in the pew or you can do it here in privacy at the altar, or you can, I'll pray with you if you'd like for me to pray with you as well. Give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for you that you could live for Him. And if you are a Christian, and you know right now your mind has been focused on future things that God may not have intended for you, could be material things God doesn't necessarily want you to have that you're obsessing about right now. It could be occupational things. You want a job that maybe God doesn't want you to have. Or a house. I don't know what the case may be. But let this be a time of recommitment for others, that you could recommit yourself to being present for the day. What does God want you to do today instead of tomorrow for his glory and your joy? I pray you would think about that as well as we enter this time of invitation. So having said that, let us pray together. Father, we know that time is short, but even the rest of the world can admit that. But we do know, Father, that you've given us a job to do, to serve you in some capacity. And Father, I pray for those of us, myself included, who maybe have strayed from certain responsibilities that you've given us to do. Father, I pray that you would help us to steer the ship in the right direction. To know your will for today and not boasting in our own will for tomorrow. Father, if anybody in this room does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, 
Move in their heart right now, Father. Convict them right now that they're so uncomfortable they can't even stay seated in the pew with conviction of the Holy Spirit to repent and place their life in Jesus Christ. And for those of us who do know him, Father, let us be more focused than we've ever been to do your will today and not boast about our own plans for tomorrow. Help us, forgive us, guide us in Jesus' name. Amen.